Take your Bibles, if you will, please turn to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 27, is again a great honor to be here tonight. Thank the Lord for the opportunity. And uh, thank the Lord for last night and the liberty that uh, I had to preach. A lot of places you go, uh, you don't have much liberty and um, almost have to force preaching. I'm going to thank the Lord that it was not that case here uh, last night, and I trust it'll be the same tonight. As I was traveling home last night, I'm going to ask the Lord what uh, what He'd have for us tonight, and uh, He began to put this thought on my heart, and I kind of tried to shy away from it. Um, but as the day progressed, it just seemed that uh, uh, it got stronger. And so um, I, I, I'm sure that you have looked at this very recently, but I want us to revisit this again. I want you to notice the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 27. Um, I'm going to deal with more verses than I'm going to read. Um, but I, I'm just going to read the read one verse and then kind of give you the idea of what I want to deal with tonight. Matthew chapter number 27, verse number 26. The Bible says, Then he released Barabbas unto them. When he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Tonight, I want us to look at the cross of Calvary. Uh, The cross today, and in many times, in many places, sadly, has become... Uh, to many of us, of what Paul would say in the, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 17, he writes this, he said, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, notice this, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. And tonight, sadly, across uh, many churches and many uh, many folks, the cross of Calvary is just that. It is, it is of none effect. It does not affect us anymore. Um, the Lord would begin to deal with my heart last night about this. And, and um, this morning when um, uh, we began to get the kids ready for school and my wife was going to take her two boys and, and um, I was staying home with the rest of the kids and getting ready to go to work. And, and um, I, I just turned on, turned on something um, for the, our oldest girl to watch. She's four and, and she was sitting there watching. I was getting dressed for... Uh, dressed for work, and she uh, she ran into and ran into a room, and she was just uh, I mean just uh, flowing with tears, and she said, "Dad, Dad, you you got to come see this. You you got to come see this." And I thought, "What in the world has done happening?" And she I mean she is crying, and I and so I I, I go in there, and she points up to the TV, and it's it was a it was a some kind of cartoon cartoon, and it had uh, had Jesus on the cross. Uh, um, and he was dying, and she said, "Why did those men do that to Jesus?" And I thought to myself, "Boy, a four-year-old. I, I know she don't understand it all, but as as the day progressed, and I began, I kept thinking about that, uh, and and what she said is, "Why did those men do that to her? And, uh, do that to him?" And she was so. Uh, so upset, she was literally uh, shedding tears. And I thought, 
Boy, when's the last time I cried over Calvary? Amen. Amen. And tonight, I want you to consider tonight, when's the last time you shed a tear over Calvary? Amen. It's amazing to me. We can shed tears over ball games and we can shed tears over old dogs and we can shed tears over cows and shed tears over, over losing earthly things. But, but sad reality of it is probably tonight if we took a spiritual inventory, it's been quite some time since we shed a tear over the cross of Calvary. And I'm telling you tonight, we have so hurt it so much and for so long that I'm afraid that the cross of Calvary has become to none effect to us. And sadly enough, the cross is used as as a symbol of our religion and, and that, that when we see the cross, it, it reminds us more of religion than it does uh, of the price that Christ paid uh, on the cross of Calvary. So the cross should be the vocal, because it should be the focal point of, of all the, of the life of the believer. Uh, one, A.W. Tozer said this about the cross. He said, the cross is a lightning rod of grace that short-circuited God's wrath to Christ so that the only light of His love remains for the believers. Another preacher of yesteryear says this, It was Christ who willingly went to the cross, and it was our sins that took Him there. Tonight, as I want us to use the Gospel of Matthew chapter number 27, and also Psalm chapter number 22, uh, to look at the, at the surrounding events of Christ and the cross. I want you to notice, first of all, we see Jesus in verse number 26. The Bible says in the last part of the verse, it says, and when he had scourged Jesus, we see that Pilate has taken the authority to scourge the Lord Jesus. And if you study the work, study that, that the Roman crucifixion and the scourging, you'll find that many people did not live past the scourging. There was two types of scourging. There was that of the scourging room and that of the scourging post. We, are, we do not know for sure which one the Lord went to. If He went to the post or if He went to the room, uh, uh, the Scripture does not bear that out. Uh, but we do know this, whether it be the room or whether it be the post, uh, he did with the, we did go through scourging. Now if it was the room, what it was was a low ceiling room. And that was very dark, would possibly be in the lower part of a dungeon. And that room, that, that room would be very, have a very low ceiling. And they would take, his, take the, uh, the individual's hands and they would uh, put, uh, tie him up to a, to a point in that ceiling. And they would stretch him until uh, he stands upon his tippy toes uh, where every part of his back is tightened and every muscle is tightened. He can barely just uh, stand on his tippy toes. Uh, and as they would begin to whip him and begin to uh, begin to use the cat of nine tails and and that 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 Roman uh, scourging piece uh, that had uh, pieces of bones and metal and broken glass, so not only did it have a have a piercing effect, but it would also have a a, a ripping effect, uh, uh, literally dividing the flesh from his bones. If it was the post, it would be uh, it would it would not be like maybe of a, a fixed post like we would think of, but it would probably be more like a, a maybe a, a a a tree that had been cut down, a tree stuff, and they would uh, put his belly, uh, they would put the, the the individual's belly on top of that on top of that uh, round uh, uh, part of that to post, uh, 
and would then do, would do very similar. They would stretch him so that his back is tightened, the muscles is tightened, and they would begin to do that. And history records many, many times, it, whether it be the scourging room or the scourging post, that many people would not ever, ever see, would not ever live through that. But we see that Jesus lived through it. We find that in Isaiah chapter 54, verse number 14, listen to this verse. As many were astonished at thee, his vision was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Uh, psalm 22, which is a, is a, is a messianic psalm, is the prophecy of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. Verse number 17 says this, I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. Tonight as we look at the cross of Calvary, before he ever went endured the cross, and endured the, 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 uh, be the payment of sin that he was on the cross, he had to endure the beating that took place at the scourging. I personally believe it was the idea of Pilate that if he scourged the Lord Jesus Christ and they saw him so badly beating, beaten and so badly mangled that they would change their mind about crucifying him. But you also have to remember this. It was, it was not, it was not the Romans crucifying the Lord Jesus. It wasn't even the Jews crucifying the Lord Jesus. It was Him giving His life for you and for me. And tonight we see Him so badly beaten. We see him as a as a person that you can't even you can't even see his his form. He is so mangled and he is so uh, so uh, 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 ripped. His body is just horrendous. And and there again, it, Isaiah prophesied it would be more than any man. You could take the most mangled and the most ruined body that there ever has been. And it would still not compare uh, to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. His ribs were exposed. His, no doubt his joints and his bar. You say, preacher, you ought not talk like that. That, 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 that. Young people that offend, I promise you, uh, they work, they they watch way more worse things on television uh, than that. And I tell you what, that's what's wrong with a lot of young people is uh, is preachers have been so scared uh, that parents are going to get offended uh, when the preacher really tells about what Calvary is. Uh, that most young people really don't know what happened at Calvary. I'm telling you, Calvary is a very horrible place, uh, and it is it is a place where he was so very badly beaten but not only did he endure uh, being badly beaten but he was boldly blasphemed in verse number 26 uh, and down through verse number 29 we see the soldiers uh, verse number 27 and they've gathered the whole band of soldiers. Verse number 28, they've stripped him. They've put a scarlet robe on him. That, that scarlet would be, uh, would uh, make fun of him as saying that he is royalty. Verse number 29, they plaited a crown of thorns and they put it on his head and a, and a reed in his right hand and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying, Hail, a king of the Jews. And then in verse, verse number 37, notice if you what it says, it said over his head, his accusation written, this is the, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Verse number 40, and saying that they, thou that buildest, destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself if thou be the son of God. Come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him and with the scribes and elders saying, he saved others himself. 
He cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and he will be, and we will believe him. Now let me say this very quickly about verse number 42. When they, when they said he saved others himself, he cannot save. It was not that he could not save himself. It was that he would not save himself. And he knew that if he saved himself, then he could not save all of humanity. And so it was not an issue of cannot, it was an issue of would not. And so we ought to see that in verse number 42. But also notice the last part of verse number 42. And they said, if, if he'll come down, we'll believe him. That was a lie. That they, they, would, they, would they would have set out to crucify him much more because they would have said what they said earlier, that he's doing this by the power of Satan. They had, they had no intentions of believing on the Lord. We see him, we see him madly beaten. We see him being blasphemed. Psalm 22, verse number seven and eight says this, all they that see me laugh, see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him seeing he delighted in him. So not only do we see him badly beaten, but we also see him boldly blasphemed. And oh, what a, what a sad reality is, uh, is tonight as the Lord uh, was getting ready to pay the sin debt of, of all them, uh, of, of, the, of mankind. It amazes me that even those people who are blaspheming him, those are the ones he's fixing to die for. Amen. Man, what a God. What a Savior is he that he would look, he would look in the eyes of those who are spitting on him and look in the eyes of those who are mocking him. And if they could hear the heart, his heartbeat, it would be, I still love you. Boy, I'm telling you, I don't, I don't, there's a lot of things in this world I don't understand. One of the things I don't think I'll ever be able to comprehend if I was to live a thousand and ten years in this life. I don't, I don't understand how God could love someone that has on purposely blasphemed Him. And just like, just like it was said tonight about the young man who said there is no God. He may think there is no God, but listen to me, listen to me well. God still died for him as much as He did for somebody that has always believed. I'm telling you, just to me, I, 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 get a lot, I get in trouble some places with this. Really don't make me no difference. But I, I, you're looking at a person who believes that as wicked and as vile and as ungodly as Saddam Hussein was, Osama bin Laden was, Hitler was, if they had bowed their knee before a holy God, repented of their sins, the God of heaven would have covered their sins with the precious blood of Jesus Christ and they'd be in heaven today. I'm telling you, this, this man named Jesus, he was so badly beaten. He was boldly blasphemed, but he was bitterly barren. I want you to notice verse number 45. Verse number 45 says this. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama shabachanai. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Can I say, I don't know what all happened in verse number 45. I don't know why the lights went out around the world. I don't know why the sun refused to shine. 
One writer said this, he believes that the reason that the sun refused to shine because whatever was going on in verse number 45 was too holy for man to see. It was a transaction that was taking place between God the Father and God the Son for sinful wretches as you and I. But as you come down to verse number 46, and he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Can I say I, I, I don't want to be I, I don't want to be disrespectful, but I just want to answer the question of the to the Lord. I, I know the answer why God forsook him, and I know what you think. And you say, well, God forsook him for sin. I understand that, and that is true. And, and I'm not going to disagree with you, but I'm going to give go a little bit further. Here's why God forsook him, so that you and I never have to be forsaken. That's why God forsook His Son. So that there's never a day I have to worry about being forsaken by, by God. We find, by, by the way, this is just this is just a little little tidbit here. You'll see that he answers. He asks the question. It, uh, he asks, says this twice. He says, "My God, my God!" Twice. You say, "Why, why, why was it twice? Was it to get God's attention?" Oh no, God was real tuned in. He didn't have to call His name once. Because when he said, my God, the first time, that was the Spirit of God leaving him. Then when he said, my God, the second time, that's God the Father turning back. He was completely and utterly cut off from God the Spirit and God the Father. And so that, 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 we, could, that we would never know what it is to be cut off from our Heavenly Father. Psalm 22 and verse number 1 and 2 says this to the chief musician. He says, he says my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring, O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, am not silent. We see that on the cross, Jesus, before the cross, he was badly beaten. He was boldly blasphemed. But on the cross, he was bitterly bearing. And not only do we see that he has been forsaken by God, but I don't want to be vulgar, but let, let's just, just be real honest. He's he stripped before the world to see a, a man that knows no sin, a man that never has had a uh, had a thought of evil. Is stripped with no clothes for uh, before the world to mock and make fun, as if as if the beating wasn't enough, as if becoming sin was not enough. Oh, can you imagine the shame that the precious, spotless Lamb of God? was feeling as people was watching his body not covered. Oh, I can't even imagine the shame that is going into in in in, in amongst the heart and the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only do we see that he's badly beaten and he's boldly blasphemed and he's bitterly barren, but I want you to notice verse number 51. Boy, I love this. He we see that he's breaking down some barriers. Notice verse number 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the rocks rent, and the, and the earth did quake, I'm sorry, and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after His resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Verse number 51, we see the veil of the temple being rent from top to bottom. That is, the, that is the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place. Amen. That is the place that only once a year the high priest could go in behind that veil. 
and he would make he would make the uh, he would pour the blood of a, a spotless lamb on the mercy seat on the ark of the covenant and that, that's when the Shekinah glory of God would come down and he would accept that sacrifice and the sins of Israel would be atoned that word atoned means to cover it means it would just be pushed back another year and then the next year that high priest would come in and he would do the same thing. He would apply the blood of that lamb upon the mercy seat. And God, the Shekinah glory of God would come down. He would accept that sacrifice. Their sins would be atoned. They would be covered. Judgment would be passed by another year. But can I say, when Jesus died on the cross, our sins were not, were not, were not in essence Old Testamently atoned. They were not covered. Honey, they were forgiven. The judgment of God was not passed upon them another year. The judgment of God was placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah that He hath pleased Him. Uh, to bruise him and he hath laid upon him the iniquities of us all that word laid a lot of times when we think of the word laid we think of laying a baby down in a crib uh, you, 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 your parents don't understand this very well you understand how you get, you've tried so hard to get that baby asleep. Finally, that baby gives up and goes to sleep. You walk into that place where you're going to lay, lay that baby down and you're so ever so careful not to make the wrong move because you don't want to wake that baby up. And that's what, that's the idea, idea of when we're talking about laid. That God just bear, just laid down uh, that the sins of man upon Jesus. But if you look up that word laid in the book of Isaiah, it does not mean that you just uh, just gently laid, but it means to it means to impinge by accident or force. Now I want to ask you a question: Was it an accident that Jesus died? Oh no! Was it an accident that God placed the sins upon Jesus? Oh no! So it could not be to impinge. It could not be to impinge, which means to which means to pierce, pierce. And by accident, so it has to be by force. You say, what you're trying to say? I'm trying to say that when God put the sins of all humanity upon the Son of God, He was literally crushed. He was, it was forceful. It was the wrath of a holy God dealing with the sins of all the ages, going all the way back to the sin of the Garden of Eden, uh, to, to the last sin that ever will be committed. It was all placed upon the darling Lamb of God. And so we see that when he, this man, uh, when this man named Jesus died and the, the veil of the temple was rent, uh, they, they could, only one person once a year could go in and, and see the glory of God and experience that. But when Jesus died on the cross, He broke down the barrier. And He said the, the thing that has kept a man out for all these years, now you can come on in. Anybody who wants to can come on in and spend some time with me. They can see the glory of God. They can experience the Shekinah glory of God. You say, what, what is that? I don't know if I know everything that it is. But I do know this. The closest thing you can get to it is salvation for any. And we see that this man Jesus, as he's dying on the cross, is breaking down barriers. The, the thing that once held a holy, kept a holy God away from an unholy man, now he has bridged the gap 
grabbing the unholy hand of man and the holy hand of God and bringing them together. The two which was once at enmity with each other. The two that was once at war with each other because of sin. Boy, the Son of God has stepped in the role and breached the gap and said now these two can become, can, can the fellowship with each other and have a relationship with each other in and through me. We see that he's so, so badly beaten. We see that he was so uh, so boldly blasphemed. We see that he was so bitterly barren. But we also see that he's breaking down barriers. Now, here, here's something uh, that has always, always amazed me. Notice verse number 54. Now, when the centurion, now that centurion, it would be the, the superintendent, if you will, of the crucifixion. He he is the one that is uh, that is under Pilate. He's the one that has been... Get that Pilate has given the order to crucify him. This man is the man. This ain't no little little old Barney Fife soldier. This man's the man. He's the one when he speaks, everybody begins to listen. And so notice what happens when this man, he says, and now when the centurion and they that were with him, that would be his, his band of soldiers, watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they greatly feared saying, truly, this was the Son of God. Now you've got to remember who this centurion is. He's the man. This ain't his first crucifixion. Right. He, has probably, he has probably done many crucifixions. He's watched many men die on a cross. But there ain't no man ever died like Jesus died. And he's beginning to, he's watching him and he said, hey, why ain't he fighting us when we're nailing him on the cross? Why ain't he hollering back and cussing at those thieves, those thieves that's hanging beside him? Why ain't he hollering and cussing at the crowd? Uh, something's different about this man. And as he stood there and he began to watch everything go on. I believe with all my heart he began to say, Boy, something's different about him. Boy, I ain't never seen no man die like this. Matter of fact, I ain't never seen no man speak like this. I'm telling you, I believe I know who he is. He's the Son of God. Can I say to you tonight, if you don't know Him, if, you, if you're not persuaded that He is the Savior, you just look at the cross, friend, and it will go, you, you'll, he'll, you'll have unrefutable truth that He is the Son of God. These people who don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, they've never looked at the cross. Just look at the cross and it'll tell you who He is because there's never been a man die like that. And thank God not only has there never been a man die like that, there ain't never been a man Get up like that. Hallelujah. Can I say unto you, not only do we see him breaking down barriers, but then in in chapter number 28, verse number 5 and 6, we find, we find that they are coming to the tomb to see Jesus, Mary, Magdalene, and the other Mary. They're coming to the tomb to, to embalm the body of the Lord Jesus, if you will. Verse number 5 says, and I know we just went through, went through uh, Resurrection Sunday, but verse number 5 says, And the angel answered uh, and said unto the woman, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for He is risen, as He said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. Boy, I'm telling you, I, one of these days... Uh, I hope that I, I get to go to the prop, get out, go to the Holy Land. I just want to go. I want to see it. People say you want to go to see the empty tomb. No, I've already seen it. You say you've been over there before. Nope. I've done seen it by faith, friend. I don't have to see it with my physical eyes and know he ain't there. I know he can't be there in my in my heart at the same time. That's right. 
I'm telling you, I know he's alive. You say, why is he? Because I talked with him this morning. Because I, I felt him. I felt him a few times a day. Friend, you, 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 somebody that's dead, you're not going to feel them. And it don't make no difference how much you talk to them. They ain't going to talk back. Now, I hope you ain't kin to who I'm about to talk to, talk about. And there's some folks from Sweetwater here, and I, I don't think that y'all know who he is, but when I was pastor there, I'm telling you, I'm not nosy. I just like to know what's going on, okay? And Brother Dustin, there was a man, and you may know who he is, I don't know, but there's a man every Saturday morning, like clockwork, he'd be at that cemetery. And I, I, after a few weeks of seeing him, I, I, wanted, I was going to go talk to him, find him to church. I walked up to him, told him who I was, told him I was a pastor. He said, okay. He told me who his name was. I didn't forget, it been too many years ago. And he said, I come out here every Saturday and I talk to my wife. And I thought to myself, God help us, she talks back, I'm out of here. <laughs> now, with everything within me, I, 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 sometimes, I used to be a lot dumber than I am now. And um, I have learned some things, and I learned that there are some, everything in me, I wanted to say, well, has she ever talked back? <laughs> now, I, I'm not, I, I, you know, I understand grief is different, and I'm not making fun of it. But I, I, I say that to say this. No matter how much he talks to her, he'll never hear, hear her voice. But I'm glad that when I talk to the Lord, Amen. it's not every day I hear his voice. But I'm glad there's some days I can hear Amen. Christ. Amen. And that proves to me that He is alive. Amen. We see Him so badly beaten. We see Him boldly blasphemed. We see Him bitterly barren. We see Him breaking down barriers. And we see Him beautifully resurrected. You say, preacher, why, why this on revival night? i tell you why. Because I believe a lot of us have forgot about it. Amen. Amen. I believe a lot of us have, have gotten to the place where Paul said the cross has become to none of none effect. I want to ask you a question. You remember the day you got saved? Amen. Now everybody got every don't don't cut me off when I say this. Just hear me out. Everybody got saved the same way, but there's all different circumstances that brought you today. Some people got saved out of a life of drugs and alcohol and illicitness and ungodliness. Some people got saved off a church pew. Amen. Now it was still repentance and faith that how they got saved, but just different circumstances. Now, I, I, what's today? Today's April the nineteenth. That I've been I've been in the ministry today. For 13 years. In these 13 years, here's something I've noticed. But Dustin, a lot of times you take somebody that gets saved later in life. They most of the time become the most faithful and the most diligent working people in the church. Now, some of y'all have been around a lot longer than 13 years. But I'm just telling you what I've noticed as a pastor for 13 years. But and also what I have noticed is you take a person who gets saved at a young age. And most of the time that person will start out great. 
But as time goes on, it fizzles. I dare, I dare to say that if you was to take your church roll tonight and you go down through it and you find a, a, lot, a lot of the people who got saved at a, younger, at a young age, you probably can't find them with the FBI or the CIA. I don't know either. I'm not asking Dustin about this. I'm just telling you, if you, your church is like the majority of the churches, that's the way it is. But them people that got saved at an older age, that got saved out of some stuff, you ain't got to worry if they're going to be there on revival night. You ain't got to worry if they're going to be there on prayer meeting night. You, you call a rat killing, you ain't got to worry, got to worry about it if they're going to be there with a stick. They're going to be there. You know why? Because they know what they've been forgiven of. And I'm afraid a lot of people who got saved at a young age, I got saved at a young age. I got saved when I was eight years old, so I know a little bit about what I'm talking about. I'm afraid a lot of us that got saved at a young age has got to the place to where we almost feel like we're deserving of what Christ did for us. And that's why, that's why so many times it can be taken so half-heartedly. But can I say unto you tonight, as eight years old, I was just as bad of a sinner as anybody else was. And it took just as much blood to save my soul as it would to save the soul of, a, of the worst person you've ever met in your life. Amen. And I'm telling you tonight, the reason, the reason we're in the shape we're in is a lot of, a lot of the ways because we have just forgotten Amen. really what Christ has done at the cross. Paul said like this in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. You know why He was so badly beaten? For you, for me. You know why He was so boldly blasphemed? You know why He put up with that? For you, for me. You know why he was so bitterly barren? Just one reason. For you, for me. You know why he broke down that barrier? You and me is the reason, friend. You know why he got up out of that grave? For you and me, friend. How in the world? We look at Christ and the payment that was paid and it not completely move us. Amen. I'm going to step on toes just for a moment. If I step on your toes, I'm sorry, I'm a bad aim. I'm aiming for your heart. How dare we get more excited about somebody chasing a pig skin than Christ. Amen. How dare we be more moved with compassion for our country than we are about our Christ. Amen. Now listen, I'm American. I thank God for America, but America ain't what saved me. Amen. It's Christ. And I'll just go ahead and help you out. One day America's going to fall, but thank God Christ never will. Amen. How dare we be so compassionate and so eager do the things of the world 
And yet, Christ is oftentimes the back burner. Tanya, friend, I believe we forgot. I believe we have unintentionally forgot just what Christ has done. You know who should have been on that middle cross? Me. You know who should have have been beaten? Me. You know who should have been taught the way he was taught to? Me. You know who who should have suffered the pains of hell? Me. All because Jesus took my place. Grace, grace, grace. God given me what Christ deserved. And God given Christ what I deserved. Boy, what grace. I believe the songwriter hit it on the head when he said, Oh, what a Savior. What a Savior is He. I want to ask you now. Felt like compelled by God last night to preach on faithfulness. Tonight I believe it was the Lord's will for us to take another glimpse at Calvary. And I'm going to tie the two in. We'll have no problem being faithful if we don't ever forget the cross. Tonight, so many things have taken our attention. So many things have caught our admiration and so many things have taken our love. No wonder Jesus would tell the church at Ephesus, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. You've left your first love. He'd say this, remember, what he first would say, he said, remember, from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. I believe them first works is just remembering what Christ did at the cross of Calvary. Tonight I want to ask you and you sincerely ask this question to yourself. When you look at the cross What do you see? And when you look at the cross, what does, how do you feel in your heart? Do you feel the same way that you felt the first time you heard Jesus die for you? Honestly, do you feel that way? Or has time caused you to not feel as much compassion and thankfulness as you once did when you thought Christ died for me? I never will forget the first day, the first time, that a preacher took the Bible and he turned to John 3.16. And you, you may disagree with what he'd done, but it sure got my attention. 
He said, Charlie, read John 3.16. I said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He said, That's exactly right. He said, But let me read it to you this way. He said, For God so loved Charlie that he gave his only begotten Son that if Charlie would believe, Charlie would have everlasting life. And for the first time, it dawned on me. It wasn't for my mama. It wasn't for my daddy. It wasn't for, the, it wasn't for everybody else at that moment. It was for me. I'm glad he died for the world. I'm included in that world, and you are too. But don't ever, don't ever get so, so broad-minded that you forget your name. Crossed his mind on that cross. Tonight. I hope as we've looked at the cross. We've been reminded. Of the great debt. He paid for you. And he paid for me. Maybe tonight you're here and you've grown cold. And indifferent to Christ. Oh, friend, won't you repent? Won't you ask God to renew that which you've lost? Because there's nobody done anything for you like Christ has done. Maybe you've never really been born again. Oh, what a night for you to settle your eternity. As we pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your